Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath podcast. So today we're going to talk about reversing the big fat lie. What is the big fat lie? Well, there's actually a couple of references to the big fat lie. Primarily what I'm talking about is the big fat lie that began back in the 50s about saturated fat with Ansel Keys. I'm going to bring that up too through about keto. Keto seems to be a high fat diet, high fat, low carb. It doesn't have to be that way. But when you put these two issues together, and we'll do a little chronology, is that you really come down to the fact that you have to know for yourself something about fat. At least that's the that's the part they got right. Bring these words about fat to the public so we know what to have a working vocabulary. You can no longer say that's that word's too big for me. I don't understand about saturated fats or polyunsaturated. I don't understand which is better, olive oil or or uh, soy oil or something else. We'll get into it. You should know about that. This has to be as common of an understanding in your mind as water for drinking, as air is for breathing. You need to know this. You need to know what clean air is, right? And what uh, unclean air is for your own safety. So the big fat lie really has to do about obesity behind it. Obesity is the issue that has been driving the whole understanding or misunderstanding of fats, specifically saturated fat and polyunsaturated fats, and this whole contention. And the world, and I'm in the United States, so I'm going to say very specifically, the United States is not split, but it's fractured. It's fractured in the sense you still have this idolic number of followers that still believe that saturated fats are bad and polyunsaturated fats are the way to go. I mean, they they are dyed in the wool from the 50s. They certainly must be getting on in, in their age. But you also have a lot of institutional support here. You have a lot of financial support that has locked into that mistruth a long time ago, and they just aren't going to undo it, whether they are Harvard or whether they're part of the food industrial complex or whether they're part of the medical complex in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, they're still going to be saying you need to be taking statins 
Well, statins wouldn't be a discussion point for any doctor and any patient if cholesterol wasn't a discussion point before that. So let's go back into some history and get some real teeth into this issue and then come back into the fat question. So as I've discussed before, there were two studies done from mid-60s to early 70s, one in the United States and one in Australia. The one in Australia was called the Sydney Diet Heart Study. And the one in Minnesota was called the Minnesota Coronary Experiment and or Survey. So they were done, the one in uh, Sydney started in 66, the other started in 68. They both ended in 73. Boom, they were a lock on the same thing. And what they were doing was having a number of people on which they were going to replace their saturated fats, that is drop their fat saturated fats from a control group versus a treatment group, and increase the amount of polyunsaturated fat. Okay, so now you have two categories. So in the polyunsaturated fat, there's a plural of fats you could use, and what they did use was a kind of omega-6. There's not just one omega-6. There's a kind of omega-6 that they use called linoleic acid. Linoleic acid. Fatty acid is what that is. Not just acid, fatty acid. And so the difference was the ones in Minnesota, being the Midwest, they used corn oil. And that has about 60% linoleic acid omega-6. In Australia, I don't know enough about the culture but they use safflower, which is about 80% omega-6 linoleic acid. So that's what they did. They ran their studies. They came up with their conclusions. Conclusions are pretty much identical. It said, yes, by dropping the saturated fats we and adding polyunsaturated fats, we dropped their serum cholesterol over that period of time, about seven years. Okay. And they left it at that. And they said, other than that, we didn't find any differences between heart attacks or not, you know, anything cardiovascular or coronary heart disease. It was just all pretty much the same, same between groups. That's all it said. Okay, well then recently, as recently being 2013 and then 2016, there was a doctor called Christopher Ramston. I don't know how he got this job, but you pretty much can call him a medical data archaeologist. So what he must have had some sort of intuition about that the data was missing on both these studies. Maybe they were too perfect. They were too chiseled down to be mirror images of each other. And um, often, by the way, when you try to verify something scientifically, you try to have the same study done in two different areas and without communication for the most part, and then present their conclusions. And so when you had these two very large studies, they were the largest studies in the world at the time, to come up with the exact same conclusion, it was, see, here you go. Now we have that truth. Now we can march on irrevocably into the future by having a healthier lifestyle. So the motivation for doing this in the first place was the heart attacks of the 50s, which were for a number of reasons, but that was a big smoking era. And smoking really accounts for a lot of heart attacks and uh, cardiovascular disease in general, by the way. So as the smoking dropped worldwide, certainly in the United States, from which I speak, the rates for uh, coronary um, uh, heart disease decreased as well. All sorts of cardiovascular decreased as well. And cancers, relative to that particular kind of cancer. 
Okay, so that was kind of the the good news in the background. But um, now time marches forward. This conclusion was bulletproof. It was set in concrete not to ever be undone. And the idea was dropping the cholesterol, which was the gold, goal, which is what they did do. They dropped, proved that they could and did drop the cholesterol. But, and the idea was from Ansel Keys in the late 50s, you drop the cholesterol and you will then, serum cholesterol, then you will improve that as, as in having fewer heart attacks and strokes and cardiovascular um, mortality events, okay? Well, they got the first part. Absolutely. First part was they dropped the cholesterol. That was correct. And it was all lined up. And But what they found when Dr. Ramsden re-found the data in Sydney, Australia, and found the data in Minnesota and put them back into their original uh, studies and then reconcluded based on the complete data, well, the decisions changed. The decisions, the conclusions changed. They were kind of reconstituted, if you will. So that the the conclusions then with this 2013 and 2016, 2013 is when he found the and reinterpreted the Sydney one, and 2016 is when he found and reinterpreted the one from Minnesota. That that wait a minute, they found that yes, indeed, they dropped the cholesterol, but they also increased all cause mortality, dying from anything, and the one in Sydney. The one that actually used the safflower, which had the higher percentage of omega-6, linoleic acid, actually had higher rates of coronary heart disease and cardiovascular illness. And so that's kind of what they were looking for. And what they initially were thinking when they were starting this study was that they were going to look for cardiovascular benefit. Well, not only did they not find cardiovascular benefit, they found a, a, a complete increase in death from any causes, mortality from any causes by dropping cholesterol, and even more specifically about heart attacks and cardiovascular um, problems. Well, that's interesting. It's just the opposite of what they were trying to do. So here they have it, 46, call it 50 years later. This, This should be the equivalent of, and let me give you an analogy to make it feel personal for you, is that you have been convicted of murder, which you did not do, but the witnesses that were used for your conviction, and you are now on death row. So you're waiting to be executed. You're waiting to be executed. What a morbid picture I'm giving you, right? Well, while you're waiting there, as the days are going by, minute by minute, hour by hour, that these witnesses decide to recant and say, no, that wasn't the truth. And so... So therefore, the conviction that was dependent on these particular witnesses and their testimony should no longer stand. Well, actually, the conviction was never changed, and you're still in prison on death row, despite the fact that the information that was used to convict you is no longer valid. This is how it is right now. So the fact that these two studies, not just one, so if one was undone and saying, oh, this is actually a slightly, more than slightly different conclusion than 40 years before, 40, 50 years before, they say, ah, well, but the other study is still standing. And so we're still, it's questionable. But then three years later, the other study got 
you know, another another box of data was discovered in somebody's garage and was put together. And the conclusion was, the re-conclusion was just like the conclusion they had in Australia in 2013. And that was dropping cholesterol was bad, increased um, death from heart disease. Wow. Well, you know, there should have been an alarm there that they needed to reverse all these things, all these institutions that had invested in these particular nutritional guidelines for the United States, which then subsequently became the nutritional guidelines for really the rest of the world. Certainly UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. After that, India, modern medicine became this uniform recognition. Everybody had the same standards. You know, the cholesterol levels were established because of these reports. So a problem is happening. So we've kept all those. We kept all those. And namely, you know, that a healthy cholesterol is under 200. Well, if we're shooting for people to be under 200, we're asking them now, given the new conclusions, to be actually unhealthy and to be at, at greater risk of cardiovascular illness and um, congestive um, coronary heart disease. Okay, but there has been no repeal. There has now been a number of various journals and so on. I mean, it was written about in, in New York Times right after both of these, and it's certainly in Scientific America. So these particular journals carried the event of, oh, wait a minute, these studies uh, that are the backbone of everything our doctor tells us for the most part are no longer true. We need to change things. That became... Uh, one-time event. You know, it was no echo. But every so often you'll get another recapitulation of, you know, wait a minute, we, we need to challenge these particular guidelines. What is happening is this, is that currently all those institutions and educational institutions like Harvard uh, are reinvesting themselves in that original conclusion, saying, well, you know, time has gone by, we've had a lot of other studies, and so they all pretty much say the same thing. So, nope, things haven't changed. And certainly that's true for the pharmaceuticals. They still go, yep, you need to get your cholesterol low, here's take your statins, and so on. You know, all that, and the side effects that statins have, which has increased rates of diabetes, and certainly uh, muscle pain, myalgia, and, and it goes on and on and on. Feel free to look up statins and all their side effects, long-term and short-term. Okay, so then you have the food industry, right? So remember those heart-healthy things? You have those little hearts on all those things. And every, when you go into a restaurant, these are heart-healthy menus. Oops. You know, they're all pitched on being low-fat in general. Usually when you go to the restaurants, it's about low-fat, nothing more sophisticated than that. Okay, so what this brings in to question is, all right, well, what about the saturated fats and um, the omega-6? Okay, enter in my experience. So my experience as a doc is that you take labs on a lot of your patients. And uh, only recently in the last couple of years, now that I've been working with people online and through various programs, I now take spreadsheets, which is something I should have done 20 years ago. But anyway, I have now a few years of spreadsheets of labs and so now I get to make these comparisons. And one section of the lab of the, we usually do four panels. So one section of one panel that is a, uh, an assessment panel that I've created and the company just does it for me is the omega panel. So the omega panel is a standard reference to getting your omega-6, your omega-3, and it breaks down the fats in there. So it's just called an omega panel. Please go get that.
costs about $35. We use Ultra Labs, which is really Quest. I'm sure that should be a reasonable cost for wherever you get this. And now you can get it done, call your doctor, whatever, but it's do it yourself. But the point I'm getting at is this small little box of labs out of all the labs we do has usually had really enormous, really high ratios of omega-6 to omega-3. Like, um, I've been doing YouTubes about this, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20%, 20 to 1. So that means they have 20 times more of the omega-6 than they do the omega-3. And so omega-6, if you were to eat steak, you would get primarily arachidonic acid. That's a um, is that omega-6? I know you go, oh, that's a big word. You're never going to remember that. Well, so is omega, that's an omega-6, and so is linoleic acid. You get a little bit of that through some animal meats, but mostly linoleic acid comes from plants. And so um, you're saying, well, basically these people just had a lot more plants. No, they didn't have a lot more plants. They had a lot more what we now call seed oils. So seed oils are the canola oil, they're the soy oil, they're the soybean oil, they're the corn oil. There's the cottonseed. People don't drink cottonseed oil. Um, they used to use it in a lot of things. So those are the seed oils. You have the sunflower, you have the safflower, seed oils. And um, as opposed to olive oil is not a seed oil, Flaxseed is not really popular enough to, for people to be having it to cook in. So it's, even though that would be a seed oil, different story, park that. And I'm trying to think of other seed oils. Coconut oil is not a seed oil, but so it's the seed oils are very high in omega-6, but, and they're cheap. And so they now have been used in the, in the manufacture of processed foods, all these so people are not having plants per se, they're having processed foods that are soaked, dripping with this kind of fat. When you go out to eat at some restaurant, unless it's a really high-end restaurant and that it guarantees it, it's cooking in olive oil or coconut oil for the most part, that it is being cooked in canola oil or soy or corn oil. It's been cooked in vegetable oil. So you're getting a dose of that. I'll call them industrial oils. I think that's a better name than seed oil, but choose that what it is so by itself we do have you know it is arguably an essential fatty acid to have linoleic acid in a very little amount that's been recorded a long time ago 100 years ago they guesstimate that the ratio between the omega-6 side and omega-3 side was about one to one at worst it was a four to one but as we've gone forward in time, the standard American diet is really up around the 20s to 1. This has been documented for at least the last two decades, if not three decades. I remember even from medical school in the 90s. So this is not a new topic. But the, to the reason we're revisiting this particular topic of the ratios is because these studies that were redone and I said, well, we have a problem here. Houston, we have a problem. We can't be dropping our cholesterol because that's increasing all-cause mortality, death from all causes, not a good thing. In addition to that, elevated omega-6, right, which is what they added, has a number of things associated with it that it increases that are not good. Um one of them is obesity. And actually, I am going to give you a list of things that that increase. Okay, so we have a high omega-6 to omega-3 imbalance. 
is associated with heart attack and stroke, which are really both the same event. One's in your brain and the other's in your heart. They're both cardiovascular events. Higher rates of cancer, higher rates of obesity. And that's an interesting topic by itself because when you use the analogy, not even the analogy, the story, the example of animals eating seeds, when do they eat seeds? It's in the fall. So they use uh, hibernating animals. So it's like bears and others that they go out and eat their seeds. And so they're suddenly for the fall getting a higher amount of omega-6, which makes them become fatter. So in that context, it's a good thing. They want to get fatter because they're going to go sleep for a couple of months. They need to be fatter to live off their fat. So that concept has been out there and is kind of like one of the dominant concepts against using omega-6. Appeal to one's vanity about, you don't want to be fat, do you? Well, then don't have industrial oils. Don't have seed oils. That's the presentation there. But also, it's associated with higher uh, omega-6. Uh, high, when I'm talking about high, is way over the four to one range. Higher, you know, in the, in the 20s and so on. Higher obesity, higher insulin resistance, higher diabetes, arthritis, asthma, lupus, so there's your autoimmune, depression, schizophrenia, those two kind of go together, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, postpartum depression, Alzheimer's, dementia. So that's quite a list that it is associated with. Now let's take a step back a couple decades, back into the 90s. Back when I was just getting out of med school, there was a woman named Artemis um, Simopoulos, and she's a Greek-born American doctor, and she's now 88, but her whole focus was on um, the evolutionary use of fats, kind of the ancestral diet going back, but her focus was on fats. Her focus was specifically on essential fatty acids, so the omega-6, omega-3 ratio back in time, back in time, and she would do rat studies, and you know, come up with conclusions and changing things. And so she was, this is in part from her work. So she came out with a couple of books in the late 90s about exactly this. It was kind of muted. It was a book that was out there and people who knew about it would go out and buy it. But it was, um, it was, it was hard to get that kind of information out to the public. Uh, certainly was not medically endorsed and so on and so forth. Uh, kind of a voice crying in the wilderness sort of thing. But it was out there and the word is gradually getting around. Um, she founded a whole uh, charitable education program based in, in Washington based around uh, fats and genes and uh, really interesting. So that's that was her work. And her saying that, you know, really the ideal ratio is one to one. That's what we must have had, but certainly no worse than four to one omega-6, omega-3. So... What's the point? This is such a nifty little thing. Back to my labs of seeing these people that are always hellaciously high. And yes, it goes along with the standard American diet. But the way I was educated through my med school and as a naturopath and uh, maybe conventional medicine as well was that primarily the omega-6 was high because of meat eating versus those who had a vegetable base. The vegetarians were higher in omega-3. They were more reasonable ratio. Well, now I've come to realize that if that's true at all, it's true to a minor extent. The reason that the ratio is so extreme is about processed foods. Processed foods, you know, these studies 
were done in 73. The McGovern report, which is what the body, you know, just sucked up all the information from the partial data, right? A lot of data was suppressed. So now they, they sucked it up and said, we now know the truth of how to make people happy. They, they uh, put that down in a report, the McGovern report. And that report was actually called, let me tell you, that report was actually called Dietary Goals for the United States from the Select Senate Committee on Nutrition and Human Needs. Okay, well, and that was in 1977. And then by 1980, from that report was the manifestation of the standardization of the lipid panel. So your cholesterol, your um, high-density lipoprotein, your low-density lipoprotein, your triglycerides, they were all standardized. If you're above 200, you're risky. If you're above 240, you're very risky. And they got to bring those numbers down. Alrighty then. So, but now time has gone by since 77, since 80, really, the, uh, the production of the nutritional guidelines. They've gone through certain reiterations, but pretty much always say the same thing, 1980, 85, 90, 95, and trying to get a lock on the idea we need low cholesterol and we need to change our diet. We need to drop our saturated fat. So it's the same old saw, which is very incorrect, but a very powerful one. Um, not everybody challenges everything that comes from the government. You know, there's a lot of people that are not paying attention to that. It doesn't, uh, they don't care about it or they don't have the education or the information to challenge it to make them think differently. From that point forward, call it 1980, is when obesity started to rise. It's not the people who were not obese before, but the number, the percentage in the population, primarily the United States and then all the other places like Europe, the uh, Commonwealth countries began to rise and rise and rise and rise. But it wasn't just the obesity epidemic, as we now call it. It was an Alzheimer's epidemic. It was a diabetes epidemic. It was an autoimmune disorder epidemic. It was a um, depression epidemic. Maybe not depression as an epidemic, but it's gone up. Um, so there you go. It's across. It, that was a bad decision. I think it was born in a a a good idea because there was a lot of starvation still going on in the sixties, in the seventies, primarily in the South. Um, at that time, and it was to address what do people need as a minimal to keep them from having outrageous conditions that are associated with. Uh, malnourishment. So that's where it started. However, it's now become this institutional mantra that I don't think you could undo with any particular thing. So it puts us in a problem of, for those of us that are questioning this and listening to this particular podcast, I would assume, of questioning institutional wisdom at all. You know, we, we have now become quite skeptical, and some could say rather cynical, and others could say even angry. For instance, of these studies that have been redone and that no institution is paying attention to, or it's still going on with their disinformation to cover it up and to make it seem like, yep, not a big deal. We've all moved on with the same old, same old. Uh, others have definitely. So when I get back to Artemis Simopoulos, she was one of the voices that was going, 
well, she was focusing on essential fatty acids. That was her way of not coming in direct conflict to the, to the conclusions of the studies or the nutritional guidelines. But in essence, if you look at her work, it is indirect conflict of, and which is good, saying, no, wait a minute. So that study of dropping the saturated fats and increasing the polyunsaturated fats was really about your essential fatty acids. You know, what were, what is the ratio? What is, you know, what has happened now? We have all this data of all these people that are hugely, you know, 20 to one ratio of six to three and all the illnesses they have. It's like, now it's like shooting goldfish in a barrel, as they would say, in terms of you find somebody who's diabetic, you you do this $35 test, you bet they're going to be 15 to 25 to one relative to omega-3. That's something you could change. So it's not just me like cramming this down your throat. It's something you can change. You get the test and you go, all right, where is, where is all my omega-6 coming from? Is it coming from processed foods? I don't think you can get there by just eating, and people have asked this a lot, what if, what if I'm eating you know, commercial chicken and commercial pork? Well, clearly they do feed those soy and corn and uh, I don't know what else. And so they would be higher omega-6 than they were 100 years ago before they did that. Does that mean you're going to be unreasonably high? I think if, if that, those were the worst that you had, I mean, if you did nothing but eat high omega-6 chicken and nothing else, that would not be too terrible. The problem is you're having high omega-6 chicken and high omega-6 pork, and you're having all the other processed foods. And so, yeah, that is a difference. So yes, they are higher. Yes, it can make a difference. But I think if you really, that was the only thing you were doing, I don't know. I'm speaking, I'd compare. You know, if there is a person out there that is doing keto or protein sparing modified fast and that was the sources that they had let's you know let's do the blood work and see where they are and find out what those numbers are that's the only way and but it's real straightforward so how do you undo all this well you undo all this with knowledge which is the point of this particular podcast get it tested find out where that data is and do not ask well i eat pork how much pork should i have i don't know what your numbers are so i can't give you not that I would anyway, because I'm not your doctor. Um, I can't tell you what to do. I need data. It's like saying to me, well, when are we going to be there? Where? Well, wherever we're going. Well, I don't know where we're going, so I have no idea when we're going to get there. It's the same situation of how much should you eat of pork when you don't even know what you have. Maybe you're one of those people, it really doesn't matter. And maybe you have a good source of pork or chicken. Um, Anyway, on the other side of the scale, it is about that um, Dr. Sinopoulos said, you know what, the marine EPA, DHA, which are your omega-3s, are far more potent than the, what they call alpha-linolenic acid, we're going to call it ALA. They're not equivalent. So EPA, DHA are omega-3s. ALA is an omega-3 but the omega-3 has to be converted by the body and it's very difficult to convert that. So that was the weakness. She didn't, I don't think, emphasize that enough to saying that you really can't, I guess if you're starving and you're in some cardboard box someplace, the only thing you can eat is ALA, you'll probably get a benefit and maybe your body can adapt somehow, but it's very weakly converted into a usable form. Nonetheless, you'll hear it again and again, ALA is an omega-3, it comes from plants and therefore... That's how we got that covered and we don't need to eat fish. 
that's not entirely true. It's a weekly true, as I just finished saying. Okay, then. I am going to leave it with, here are your assignments. You go out and get that lab done. You assess what your omega, you know, after you find out your omega-6 ratio, and if it's over 4, find out where your omega-6s are, and then work to reduce that, the degree that you want to be healthy or drop fat and so on and so forth. And yes, you can take an omega-3, uh, omega-3 as a supplement, but not to the point that you're going to cover. You have to do both. You're going to take omega-3, that's a good start, but you have to work at reducing the amount of omega-6 concurrently at the same time. All right? And for me, my general advice is move towards a ketogenic diet that does not have to be high-fat, low-carb. That's sort of a, a passing stage of the ketogenic diet. If one is epileptic and other situations that demand high fat, then that's perfect. A high fat, low carb ketogenic diet is the way to go for those particular medical conditions. So if you don't have those medical conditions, you don't have to go to the high fat. So the idea you need to eat a lot of fat to lose a lot of fat, that's bunk. You need to eat a lot of fat if you have a medical condition that's usually neurologically based, such as epilepsy and others. And then it will help, but then even then you can back away. If you're if you're a pediatric, if you're a child, then you can back away. That's what the whole Charlie Foundation was based on. He did that for three years and doesn't have to do it anymore. I'm sure he's somewhat aware of his diet, the Charlie Foundation. Okay, till next time. I hope that was useful information. I hope you're going to go out and change your life with it. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcam again for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H.com. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you cho choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of a, just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.